0: Hello and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb
1: and I'm Christina. Together we are bringing you ideas about education, entrepreneurship, and relationships that are both inside
0: and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook,
1: and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Today, we are catching up with an old friend, Mr. Rob Eastman. We met him in October at a mastermind, and he imparted some great wisdom to us. And we're so honored to have him come back and share again with us a little bit more and share with our audience about what we can do to help our kids learn and grow. Thank you, Rob, for being here today.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. It's good to see you guys' faces again. I had a great time when we were together the first time, so I'm honored to be here.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background, a little bit about this whole entrepreneur journey and kind of where you are, how you're related to education as well.
2: Yeah. So if anybody's a redhead, they know we're built with a few extra gears and they usually don't fit into the school system. (laughs) Super (laughs) hyper. We don't focus very long, but my mom would say that straight out of the womb, I was not like any of her other kids. She would have to self-soothe me. I did, I couldn't understand that skill. She'd put me to bed and she'd find me in a completely different place in the morning, never sitting still. And where there's not the structure in the home when you're little, you know, it's just a kid that'll outgrow it. Um, the troubles really started when I hit school, um, when I had to sit still for more than 30 seconds, when tapping on the desk became a problem. And back in the 80s, Teachers could hit the kids. They'd put a bar of soap in your mouth. They would slap you with a ruler. And so ultimately that just created this, something's wrong with me. I'm broken. I couldn't fit in with the kids in class because the teacher would bully me, which would give the kids the okay to bully me as well. So early, early on, I was getting sent to the principal's office. I was, by the first grade, they said, if you don't get him under control, we're going to have to hold him back. So I'm in and out of the doctor's offices, wow. and I like to say I was the original Ritalin baby. Before Ritalin was a thing, I was one of the test dummies for it. And I think back, and one of the drills when I'd go into the doctors, I would hold my hands up, and they would put tissue paper on my hands, and they would judge my mood by how much I was shaking. And I'm looking back at it now, like how is that even a medical thing? And they would put one of those like mood ring stickers uh-huh. on my forehead and read off what color it was. like just complete madness. Wow. And so by the, by the second or third grade, it got to the point where I I didn't learn like everybody else. The right. absorbing what you were saying, I'm a hands-on guy. I needed to use my hands. I needed to solve puzzles. Mm-hmm. and they don't do it that way. Wow. It's like, here's your direction. read the instruction. Like reading comprehension probably still now is like, I don't know, maybe like a seventh grader. Like I don't learn that way. If I open a box that has instructions, the instructions go on the corner. I visualize what's in front of me and I put it together. Right. Yep. So by the third you know, grade I
0: left over, you look, you maybe look at the instructions <laughs> like what is this thing? But yeah, I get it. Yeah. So
2: by the third grade it had gotten so bad that I had started developing my first suicidal thoughts and I knew that most of my trauma was coming from going to school, sitting in a classroom that I knew I couldn't sit still, that the kids were going to make fun of me, all these different things because I was different,
1: Right.
2: which in at that age, you feel broken. Mm-hmm. And you start developing insecurities. And so I like to say I became the Swiss Army knife. I was whatever you needed me to be. Okay. If this kid, like if this bully liked erasers that were cool to put on his pencil, I'd make my mom buy me some so I could bring them, give him some erasers. And so that he would be my friend. And if this kid liked, like, I was good at soccer or whatever, like, I just kind of became a chameleon and I could be whatever you needed me to be.
1: Right.
2: And, and hearing that come out of my mouth, like, I guess that's ultimately where my entrepreneurship came from.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: just adapted. I was able to make friends, not keep them but I could make friends and I could manipulate my teachers and get on their good side and know that I was this cute little redhead and I sucked at math and they'd pass me off because I was kind to her, you know, all these different things of uh, personal relationship and things like that. And it really, really affected me. So my ears stuck out and people would pull me and that's right when Dumbo came out, huh. they would call me Dumbo and all these things. And oh, when you're yeah. little, all you want to do is fit in and it just wasn't working and so it was the summer between sixth and seventh grade my we had an incident with an adult who was making fun of my ears and they're like oh my gosh maybe he was telling the truth the whole time so I went and got surgery so that I could go into seventh grade looking and feeling better but by that time I it had been the damage had been done it didn't matter what you did to the outside I was still rotting inside
1: inside the trauma yeah
2: yeah and Again, the only time that I would really focus was during sports seasons because that was my only outlet. Mm-hmm. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned. He started out with maybe you guys would remember these brands: Eagle, Renault, um, uh-huh. and then we got into Jeep, Chrysler, Plymouth. So I'm seeing him creating all of these things and then I'm going to school learning about how to be an employee or like fitting in a box, being a worker bee. And I never felt whole that way. Same Absolutely. with religion for me. It just seemed like a long list of things that I couldn't do perfectly. So it just created more shame and doubt. Like, And it just got to this point where eventually I got into drugs and alcohol Um, I tried to commit suicide multiple times before the ninth grade. And I didn't know I grew up without grandparents. And one day when I, when I used the gun to try and commit suicide, I played Russian roulette and I ended up pulling the trigger twice. And the cops came and got me, took me home. And my dad, that was the first time my dad had let me know that his dad drove his truck off of a bridge and that his mother committed suicide. And that if I were to do that, he doesn't know what he would do. He might end up ending his life. Mm -hmm. So in our religion, suicide was a no, no drugs and alcohol were a no, no, but the emotional pain, you know, we didn't talk about our feelings. Men didn't learn how to do that. And I was a little boy. And it just came down to the point where I couldn't handle it anymore. And I was introduced to weed and that took the pain away. And the one thing that they don't tell you is that a little bit of weed now means a lot of bit of weed later to get the same result. And, you know, you can fast forward 15, 20 years of just I just adding more and more and more. But once I got out of school and I went I went up to Utah State for school and I sat in this massive room with probably 350 students in a lecture hall. And I remember I raised my hand and the teacher looked up and he said, if you can't keep up, you do not belong in my class. And again, as a freaking college student, everybody's laughing. I packed my bag, I stood up and I walked out. I went to the administration office and I withdrew, got my money back. I didn't tell my parents because I was letting them down again. And I bought a season pass to a local ski resort and a snowboard and became <laughs> a really good snowboarder. Really good. <laughs> but as I got out, yeah. as I got out and into the real world, it became very evident very quickly that I was not an employee. My ideas didn't match. I could do things better than other people. The way they were doing them was like six extra steps. I could whittle them down, but the manager does not like to hear. They do not they
0: like that at in. all. No. no. So to have
2: these ideas, I was talking to my dad and and this is shortly after I've gotten, I have got into recovery and he he just flat out said, he's like, you're a shitty employee. You need to find a way to make your own money. Yeah. And so we developed a... what what I needed was a recovery plan and he didn't know anything about recovery, but he did know about business. So we set some goals that had to do with interpersonal and also developing my skills. And one thing I found coming out of rehab was I was still really good at athletics. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then the first nine months of sobriety, my wife left me, the bank took everything I own and my dad died. Oh boy. And it was like the biggest slap in the face. Mm -hmm. And I found that I needed the beautiful wife to make me feel good. Mm -hmm. I needed the big truck in the big house to make me look good. And I needed my dad to pay for those things when I couldn't. And it was like, God's like, yoink, yoink, yoink. It's time to walk on your own two feet. So it really made me sit back. And at that time I couldn't afford a therapist. So I went and got a Pell grant from the government. I went back to school, which I hated, but when I sat with the counselors, they're like, you need to test into math, English, science to see where you're at. And I'm like, that's not why I'm here. I'm like, I only want to take psychology
1: Right.
2: and they're like pushing me to take these classes. And and they're like, well, why are you here? I'm like, I want to know why I'm so messed up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, okay, we wouldn't recommend it, but go ahead. So I took two psychology classes Mm -hmm. and as I'm sitting there in the class, I felt like they were talking about me. Everything in that book was like, dude, I'm looking around the room like, is he reading my bio? Like, what the hell? And I could retain like 95% of what he was saying in reading because I could apply it to something I had experienced. So as I went through it, I started going home, taking what I learned in psychology and applying it to coaching people for free at the park. But using fitness as a way to teach people how to do hard things and applying the psychology like you would with a therapist, except we were taking action. Yeah. And I was working a shitty job. I had owned a concrete company before this, I owned a Honda motorcycle shop, and I was great with people. I was not good at budgeting my emotions and budgeting time and like truly managing the company. Right. So we, we did well in the Honda shop. We ended up selling to a bigger company after three years. I bought the concrete company, never touched a trowel or a shovel in my life other than to dig a hole of China when I was in like sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and I just figured it out. Like we went to the first concrete job, completely destroyed it. So then I called somebody who was in the industry. I had him come over and give us a lesson and fix my mess up. And I just started picking brains and, and hanging out with the guys that had already done it. It's like, we want to be the self-made guy so bad. It's like you didn't, you're not making shit. Unless you invented something, you're not the first guy to do it. So then I just became really good at putting things together, putting the right team together of how to make anything that I did happen. And then things started clicking with my dad. Like I was very terrible his my entire life before he passed away. I didn't use the, the skills he taught me. I didn't understand. I didn't water the seeds he planted. Right. And then as I'm going, I started getting mentors and listening and using their plan. And I found that I'm a really great co-pilot. I'm a shitty driver.
1: Okay. So you need to know the more, your-
2: Yeah, the more I had these great ideas, rather than me running with it, I would take that great idea and I would give it to great men and women for them to poke holes in my theories for them to show me what my passion was blinding me from seeing that could ultimately cost me my business. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So it was really easy for two reasons. One, I like to blame people. Two, if I did what they said and I failed, I could blame those people. But I quickly found that all of the ideas I had, when structured, I had more energy to just in this uber-focused funnel of taking the steps that they told me to. And when I was done with those steps, I would go back and we would hit stage two, stage three. And since then, I've, I've uh, started, owned and operated a lifestyles gym that we work. We don't care. Fitness is just a way, again, for me to teach people how to do hard things in a safe environment. Right. And it's a small 2000 square foot facility. I, you generally work with people who are looking to change their life. Okay. not change how they look because when you look a certain way it's not going to be what you thought it was if you don't change the person inside it's not going to work so i would sit and apply all these psychology lessons inside of a chess workout or running in the mountains or whatever it would be and it really took off because i found that if i may if i left the people feeling better than i found them they're going to want to come back right and all that was was teaching them that they're capable Mm-hmm. that maybe what they're doing either in their relationship, their, their belief system, or the idea that we were taught that you have to go to school, go to college, get a degree, work at your nine to five job, maybe retire at 65. And then you have what, 10 years, 15 years of, of good living. If you succeeded mm-hmm. in that, your kids are missing you. You probably got fired from the safe job that you were so secure in. And it's like, this this myth, this time heals all wounds, the if you have a job and you pay the bills, then you'll be loved. It's like how many of us have been in that marriage that we're providing. We're out. We're giving all of our time away. We walk in the door. Our kids want our time. Our wife want our time. We don't feel appreciated. And then this wedge starts happening and you end up divorcing or hating the person that, event, that you were in love with, that you had a family with, that all of these things. And I think if we were to step it back and spend time finding out what that person is capable of at a very young age and then pushing them into that space, Mm -hmm. how magical
0: could our world be? Exactly. Yeah. Bringing education home, that's part of our focus. That's part of a lot of what you said is why we're doing this. We want to bring the psychology in. We want to teach the children how to be capable first because once they start being people and they start understanding what being people is, then the love of learning just jumps from that. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, this is peopling. And so exactly. our, our school isn't so much about teaching school. It's not about the reading, writing, and arithmetic. It's about the love of learning. It's about the psychology. It's about learning who you are and about your personality and know that your personality isn't who you are but the personality is the deck of cards that you get to use to build your character because your character is who you want to be your personality is who you start out as and that that information is somehow lost and and people get so caught up in i i i and they forget about the me and the all of me in the I, and so so where you're doing what you're doing and the little bit of psychology you're bringing into it is just Amazing. so fantastic and fabulous especially at the young age and, and the problems you had with school can be so easily addressed at at smaller levels and especially within the home where you're before you're,
1: they get to the big issues where one yeah. your parents
0: can, your your mom knew your mom if yeah. she had had coaching could have directed into a much better education system than, yeah. Hey, drugs and you're wrong and soap in the mouth. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: I'm sitting there looking at the tree behind you. And that brings up that the Einstein philosophy of, if you judge a fish on how it climbs a tree. It will forever feel or forever feel stupid. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I took my psyche val at 31 years old mm-hmm. to find out how I operate, how I learn and how I'm most going to be successful. It was like, a scale of like 70 is like mentally retarded, right. 110 is genius. And on the way they teach in school, I was an 80. Right. In problem solving, puzzles, um, hands on, I was a 120.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm
2: sitting there like, oh my gosh, if I would have had visual aid, if I would have could have worked with my hands, if I could have gone in the direction of my greatness, where could I have been? Exactly. Uh,
0: her, her little brother. Um, yeah, not great with reading, not not book smart at all. Nope. but give him a truck driver, tap try, tie stuff down, hands-on, planning
1: that, the route to make sure he hits all the spots at the right that time. Man
0: is so competent at work and being there mm-hmm. that he is so intelligent at that. That if if he had been, oh, you're dumb because of this the stuff in school, that would have just been devastating because this man is so incredible yeah. competent and smart but there is no yeah, there's there is no book there for him mm-hmm. yeah so that it kind of brings me around to
2: why I do what I do on the service side and working yeah. with youth and families so I was married and she had a son and he played baseball uh-huh. and we went to it at this time I was a cage fighter and so it's pretty intense. And so we go to his go to his baseball game and he had a double header, which is gonna be like a four-hour sit on a thing in hopes that he might get up to bat, in hopes that he might get a catch. And I finally pulled him over at the end. I'm like, buddy, I love you. I want you to thrive. Like, let's pick a different sport. I will coach, I will do whatever necessary. Uh and he thought about it and of course kids want to be on a team and he's been on this team for like five years and this new dad comes in and is trying to change things and his um his dad wrestled and so he's like well what about wrestling I was like game on let's do that so I went to the school for wrestling practice and showed up and I was just going to volunteer my time and I was turned down by the coach. He's like, you can't be around these kids. You got to have a background check and you got to get your fingerprints and all that. And I was like, Oh, no big deal. I was like four years sober at the time. Yeah. And I go in and pay the fee and get my fingerprints done. And you're you'll hear back in the window of two weeks. And I heard back the next day and it said, thanks, but no, thanks. Your background is like, we can't have you around kids. Yeah. And I've been clean and working on myself for four years. And I had forgot about all my charges. <laughs> right.
0: So Obviously, I printed
2: off, I printed off my background check, and it was two pages long, and it was like all drug related, like paraphernalia, DUI, all you know, no violent offenses. But I'm like, if I were some guy that's sworn to protect children, I wouldn't hire me either. But I'm also not going to sit back and be a piece of paper. So nice. I took my background check. I set an appointment with the guy who denied me. I sat down across his desk. I pushed my uh charges across the desk i said where we'd like to start
1: what do you want and to I him mm-hmm. how
2: i was as a kid the way i was treated by my teachers the way i didn't learn like everybody else and what i'd learned in the last 4 years mm-hmm. and by the end of the conversation the guy was in tears oh. and he stamped it approved and he said we need more coaches like you so that gave me the opportunity to start working inside the school with young men
1: uh-huh.
2: and When I went in there, I knew that my focus was nothing to do with wrestling and everything to do with interpersonal work, that if these boys had confidence, if they could face their fears and not let it turn into anxiety, if they could speak openly to a coach who's not a cop, not a teacher, not your bishop, not somebody who's going to look down on you, but to give you a roadmap out of feeling that way, Mm -hmm. that they're going to perform better for me. They're going to go to war every time they step in that circle on the wrestling mat. And I had the most profound experience with these young men. It's like, I, I got fixed after I had my daughter. So I only have one the ability to have my daughter and anybody else that comes into my life. But here now I've adopted, like, I love these young men, like 22 boys from the ages of 13 to 15, like my own kid. I'm crying with them. I'm hugging them. I'm going to battle with them. I'm, I'm on the chair. They're in there just wishing I could be in there protecting them. And they saw the, the effect I had on these youth and another school heard about it Uh and they gave me the opportunity to be the head coach the following year. Wow. So fast forward a decade, I've been doing this now for 10 years inside of the schools. Um, At one point they gave me my own classroom. They had me come in, what they called was a tracker. So I would work with the kids that were failing, doing drugs, getting in trouble, whatever. And they wanted me to walk around, pull them out of class show them their grades, set a plan to do more homework and then move on to the next one. And I'm like, Hey, look, they already feel different. They're going to feel dumb because people know what I'm doing in the school. So they get pulled out of class in the middle of class. I'm like, that's when I was like, like, give me a classroom. Yeah. So they do four periods a day. And then the last period they call it wrap. And that's where they just go to a classroom. They can work on homework. They can, you know, do whatever they need to do. So they would come to me for wrap. Yep. And I had some you know, multi-ethnic people, and I just got to know them, and most of the kids were coming to school to relax, because their home life was so crazy, oh, right, parents are on drugs, moms at work all the time, they're raising their little teeny siblings, they have these extreme, the world called on them way too early, so I figured, like, what are they doing there, they're reacting to everything, yeah. so how can I better help them not react, I'm like, I went to the librarian and I grabbed, I asked her, can I check out some chess boards? And these kids have never done anything like that. You know, they're in gangs or whatever it is. And so I taught them how to play chess. And what does chess do? It's like, you can't just move a thing and hope that it worked out. You've got to think three, four, five moves down the road and there's consequences for every action. Right. So it started teaching these kids to think before they act. Mm -hmm. And then they were listening to really terrible music that just demeaned themselves, demean women, you know, all these things. And I was like, I want you guys to write 15 bars. And it's a positive rap about your mom. And they're looking around the room like, what? You're going to let us rap? I'm like, yeah. And it's due tomorrow. I didn't know what had happened, but they came back. 90% of the room had written something and we put a beat on and they were rapping about the positive things that they had learned from their mother. And the, and the kids were like cheering for each other and they were so pumped. And so we ended up writing like one rap a week about different aspects of positivity in, the, in their life or things that they learned from the negativity. Like you don't have to see if your mom's not doing her job, don't let that get you down. Let that show you what not to do. Like sometimes it's a good influence, sometimes it's a bad influence, but either way it's an influence and it can influence you to good we don't have to wear those traumas so between chess and writing raps i ended up getting not in trouble but one of the other teachers is coming in and she's hearing us rap and watching us play games all day she's like these kids are failing you're not doing your job and she went and got the principal so he comes over pulls me out of class and all my guys are like oh coach is in trouble <laughs> right and I'm laughing, walking out i'm like man i'm getting deja vu And I go out there and he's like, Hey, I heard you guys are playing games and not doing much homework. And, and I shared that same thing. I'm like, principal, what, what are these kids biggest mistakes? They act out in class, they make bad decisions. And I just went through the list of reasons why they're in there. And I shared a little bit about their background, which most teachers can't get into that because parents are too, like you don't talk to my kid about personal stuff. You teach them math. That's all you are. Mm -hmm. So maybe I crossed some boundaries. It was worth it. But I shared with him, like, what does chess teach you? He's like, to think in advance, to to play the tape to the end. Right. Okay. How does getting in tune with these kids, if they like rap, the, getting them to write positive things, you're not going to get them to write a poem. You're not going to get them to write in their journal, mm-hmm. but it's the same damn thing. I found what they liked. I had them get good at it. And now we're doing that. He's like, I like what you're doing. Keep doing it. And so he kind of gave me the the green light to start doing some different things, and and I was studying this guy out of Australia. He's a principal. He was in prison, and he did something with the kids that he guaranteed them no homework. <laughs> uh, they worked hard and they focused in class, and were getting X amount of grades that they would not be they would not have to do uh, homework. And he had this amazing relationship with like. A thousand kids that looked at him like a father. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go present this to my principal. Right. Because the kids are sleeping in class, they're they're not putting in the work. Like, you got to be there. You might as well do something while you're there, mm-hmm. is kind of how I pitched it to the kids. But I went to the principal, I said, Hey, I want you to come in and I want you to sit on these desks with these kids, and I want you to look them in the eye and say, If you kids put in effort while you're at school, I will tell your teachers that you are free from homework. Yeah. And he's like, he was a straight-laced Utah guy and He's like, man, I might, you know, I, I might lose my job if I do this. I'm like, let's just try it for one once one term. Yeah. And he's like, all right. Comes in, and these kids are like five, six, seven Fs. Like they weren't they weren't going to pass regardless. Doing what we had been doing,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and he came in, and he's trying to be cool. He takes his tie off and unbuttons his shirt. He like,
1: <laughs> right. was so
2: clean cut and nerdy that it, it try just to make the better.
1: connection.
2: Yeah. And he looked them in their eyes and, and my, I talked to the kids about, it. I said, will you promise me if he comes in here and tells you guys that, that you don't have to do homework, that you will promise me that you will work your ass off in class. And they yeah. promised up and down that I like, will do anything coach. And uh, he came in, he sat down and he did that. And let me get emotional. Yeah. So it's day it's great. The day for grades. Yeah. yeah. And I'm coming in and I look at the principal across the corridor all the kids are going to class and he has this look on his face. And I just knew instantly that it worked. Uh-huh. And he brought me their grades, and not one of them had a failing grade. Nice. They all it was maybe a D minus, but they found that if they applied themselves, if they budgeted their time, that they had somebody that believed in them,
1: mm-hmm.
2: that they would put in the work. Right. And so finding that I'm taking these kids that nobody else wants, that they can't stand there, they're in in school suspension all the time, showed them a little love, found out a little bit about who they were as human beings and helped them learn that way, yeah. that their entire world can change. And that was probably seven years ago. I've sent probably five off to the military, another five to missions for their church. Half of them are in college. There might be maybe... Five percent that didn't make it out. Right. Compared to a hundred percent if you don't give them a freaking shoe up and a hug and let them know that it doesn't have to be society's way. Yeah. That if they put in the work, they follow their passion and they're doing good, that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. As I do this, I'm just like, man, I wish I would have had a me when I was going to school. I wish I would have had somebody look me in the eye and be like, you know what, this shit isn't gonna matter you're a good person and you take care of people and you take care of your relationship, the things are going to work out. Mm -hmm. And so I've really developed that now in a better skill of, I go in and I coach teachers. I present at the school and then we break out into breakout sessions with the students. And we have, I have a packet that like a curriculum that I've come up with that teaches them how to express themselves Mm -hmm. rather than depressed, anxious, sad, this, it's like, I'm feeling vulnerable. I'm feeling taken advantage of. I'm feeling embarrassed. Right. Like these words that they don't know how to use. So yeah. if they can't communicate how they feel, right. then they feel dumb. They can't use the big words. Yeah. So we just teach them it's okay to feel. It's okay. Like what masks do you use to get through your day? Mm-hmm. We just made it so easy that they can just circle. It's like right. I'm the funny guy. I'm shy. I hide in the corner. I'm the jock. I'm the smart kid. I'm the because they're all masks. And if they don't take those off at some point and learn to just be their true, authentic self, Mm -hmm. then they're going to grow up to be addicts, to be in terrible marriages, to end up wanting to end their lives for decades. And I I can't live that way because I have some tools and I want to share them with the world. And if I'm not willing to be vulnerable, if I'm not willing to share that, who the hell is? Exactly.
1: So one of the things that I'm thinking is because a lot of our podcast is for helping parents kind of. Find some tips, tricks, things that will help them help their kids at home as well as through the school system. If you were to have a parent come up to you and say, my kid is one of these. What could be three things that they could go do or look at to maybe help them help their kids at home?
2: So this is my favorite part. (laughs) Our kids are simply mirrors of ourself. Mm -hmm. I always tell the parents, go take a hard look in the mirror. Are you presenting perfection in the home? Were you perfect? Did you get straight A's? Did you love yourself your entire life? Mm -hmm. Bullshit. Go get vulnerable with your kid. Go let them know that it's going to be okay. Go let them know that their 100% is going to change on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Go give them a break. Sit in their pain with them. Don't give them a pill. Give them, sit down and be like, what are you experiencing right now? What created that experience? Were you bullied at school? How can we combat that? It's like, pe- parents want to pay me $20,000 to work with their kid. I'm like, okay, let's do a consult. And half the time, I'm like, I'm going to take the 20, but I'm going to work with you. It's not the kid. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yep, so. The trauma, you've allowed them to feel less than, or you've babied them when they throw their tantrums, and you've allowed it to go on. And now that's a very developed skill they have. Mm-hmm. Like, hold them accountable. Babies cry because they can't talk. If they can start to communicate and you don't use communications, they're still going to cry for things. And then you get mad because they're not developed and because they're, they're throwing tantrums because they get off their game. It's like you allowed it. He's 13. Right. At some point you should have said, Hey buddy, what are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Take the time to sit with your kid. It's not math. It's not science. It's not English. It's something burning and boiling inside that doesn't feel comfortable to them. They know something's wrong. They don't know what and you keep telling them like, you didn't get up on time. It's like you didn't teach me how to get up on time. You didn't make me go to bed on time until I was 13, 15. Yeah. It's like, teach me the skills. Let me know that you're not perfect. Let me know I can come to you with anything and not get shunned or shamed. Yeah. I love it. That is awesome. Shit.
0: Uh, I, I wish we had had someone like you growing up too. As and, well. and
1: yeah. you
0: know, your story growing up um, is very similar to mine. Um, not, not. I wasn't quite as athletic. I, I fit in a little easier. Um, the way I was bullied, I went inside and shut down instead of acting out. So, um,
2: so isolation. Yeah. yeah. Alone in a room full of people. Like, how many of us do that? How many of you feel alone in a relationship? You're laying in bed, feeling damn just alone, not appreciated. And then, what do you think that tells your kids?
1: Yeah. You never uh,
2: touch your wife. You guys argue all the time and you're telling them, but we're in love. Okay. So that's what love looks like. Got it. Right. Right,
1: Exactly. They see everything. It's about
2: cleaning. Adults need to clean out their closet. They need to get the update, not the kids. Technology is not going away.
0: We got to stop. Bringing education home, our school. It looks like we're talking about kids when we start talking about our education platform, how we're going to work with the kids, how we're going to do this. What we do has very little to do with the, the parent kids.
1: coaching around we, all we, of that
0: w- w- one parent, yep. one client. It's like we're teaching them the very, very basics of, of scheduling at home of when your kids get home, let them play for 45 minutes, then do the homework, then do this. Then it's just really simple, basic how to live life. And it makes such a drastic impact. Because these are skills that yeah. just aren't being taught. The, the family yeah. structure is kind of breaking down. So the grandparents who had this aren't necessarily in mm-hmm. the home. So yeah. this, this this information that is just so vital to, again, being alive and being human is mm-hmm. the stuff that's so missing in our world right exactly. now. So, so yeah, we're coaching the parents and the kids are getting... The benefit of that. And it looks like they're being educated, but what we're really doing is fixing the family through the parents.
2: Yeah. So I worked with adults originally, and I got sick of putting band aids on people that weren't willing to do the work or old um, life skills that maybe worked for our great grandfather, but we're not pioneers anymore. Right. We have other options. So them to let go of those old ideals to make rooms for new ones, I was like, I'm doing good with adults, but. I want to work on prevention. But right. so I went to the youth and I was working on prevention but then they'd go home and get reindoctrinated with the bullshit their parents were doing. So I was like, now I have a company called the village effect, That's right? It takes everybody's got to continuously grow or nothing's going to change. Right. Exactly. I'm going to be breaking up families by creating these little life ninjas that are going to see their parents are full of shit. And not <laughs> a problem. It's like I don't want that. I want people to grow together. But that starts with vulnerability, letting go of old things that are no longer working. Mm -hmm. That's coping skills. That's like drugs and alcohol. It saved my life. Mm -hmm. I would have killed myself in my teens if I didn't find that. But I should have put that down at some point because it almost took my life in the end. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So being shy, maybe it saved you in elementary school, maybe it saved you in junior high. But as an adult... It's not going to work. You have to interview. You have to go and present to corporate people. You have to sell cars. You have to do like, not you as have a business to continuously, owner. I like like snakes, you got to shed your skin. Yeah, exactly. Like if you talk to me in a year and we're having the same conversation, smack me in my face. <laughs> I haven't grown and outgrown some of my beliefs even that I have now. Mm-hmm. There's always holes that we can keep plugging in. You got to be willing to look at yourself and share your fails and the solution with those around you. That's not just your family. That's coworkers, that's neighborhood people sharing in your churches. Like, it's cool to get up and hear somebody that's so successful and done everything right. I don't connect with those people. I get up there with somebody who tells me like, um, oh, what was his name that spoke right before me? The kid with autism. Oh, I, Tucker.
0: Tucker Bearden.
1: Dude.
2: Right. Hearing his story and then seeing him present is just like. Yeah. Like if he can do it, I can do it. Right. (laughs) Right. And so that's what gives me hope. And I think most people that are going to identify with us, they've had some struggles. They don't want to hear about perfection. They want to hear about some serious darkness and what steps they took to get out. How did you find the light at the end of the tunnel? Because we weren't all born with just straight A's and everything came easy. It just doesn't work that
0: way. (laughs) I'm kind of going through one of those dark tunnels at the moment. With so I got a lot of traumatic brain injury stuff doesn't work right. So the fears, the anxieties, the it's not really shyness. It's like people that I know, I'm supposed to make phone calls to, and it's like I'll pick up my phone call to call them, and it's I can't make myself push the buttons, and I'll put my phone Mm -hmm. down, and. It used to not be a problem, mm-hmm. but now there's this stuff going on in my head because of all of all of the the cracks that I took. so i'm I'm trying to learn as an adult stuff that I got right from the beginning that got knocked out of me. and it's a lot weirder. I'm I, there's there's so many more built-in excuses stopping me. there's so much more life um, reasons and stuff that I have for. And then and then it's is it really the brain damage or can I work through it? So the all sorts of this stuff mm-hmm. is going on with me right now that puts me in kind of a dark place. And my community is really helping me keep going yeah. and so building
1: the village, having.
0: the yeah. community.
2: So one thing I did before my speeches or presentations or going into job interview, I would start with, hey, I'm a recovering addict. I had a traumatic brain injury. I don't remember something sometimes. And I get really anxious all right, let's go. And they would just start laughing and it would break the ice. And then I, I had already like spilled my dirt and then, okay, we're good. I didn't want to fake it anymore. Right. And when people did that, it was just instant identification. People, they just started listening. They're like, I identify with 90% of what he just said. Let's go. So I just, I am so imperfect and I might slur my words and I might get off track. So If I do get me back on track, but this is what I want to, this is what I want to show. I just, just own it. Like we were talking about the cards you were dealt. We got to play the game regardless.
0: Yeah. And sometimes in the middle of the game, someone's going to snatch all your cards and shuffle them up and hand you a new deck. And you're like, Oh shit. What
2: happened now? (laughs) Just tell them if I walk off in the middle of a conversation, it's not you.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) No, that's, that's so real because he'll be doing something and he'll be in another room all of a sudden. It's like, yeah,
0: I you do. I'll be sitting here talking to her, and I'll be talking to her, and in the middle of oh, a conversation, I'll like, be I'll suddenly be standing in another room, looking at a wall, and I'm like, come "Why out. the hell am I here?" And it's like, "What was I doing?" And I'll go back and I'll find her, and it's like, "We were just having a conversation, right?" <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 really bizarre. I thought I was going it's a real thing, it. insane. So for a
2: while, and and for me, it happens like if I'm in a deep conversation or an uncomfortable one. Mm-hmm. it's that whoops, swirl. And it's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Like a lot of people like, you know, you just walked away from that person while they were telling you about their, I was like, Oh yeah. Go back. Yeah. But that's me. I'm not going to pretend who I am anymore. I need to oh. just, it is, I am who I am.
1: Yeah. And it was that deep ingrained um, coping mechanism. You, yeah. you go away from something. And so even though it was their story and their trauma, That's how you were dealing with it, you know? But I love that you go back because that's what people have to understand is that when you're dealing with someone who's gone through a lot, PTSD, whatever, accept the, oops, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to really walk away and and continue and and be with
2: And it's not intentional. It's like autopilot.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't mindfully do that. I'm just like... I call call it bouncing off of walls because I'll be doing something (laughs) and then I'll be somewhere else in my house looking at a wall like, What?
1: What? Then coming back again.
0: (laughs) Standing in the garage, like, what am I doing? I'm looking for. Am I here again?
1: (laughs) But again, you know, we can bring it back to the beginning of your story, though, because if we're helping our kids deal with a lot of this stuff when they're younger and giving them better coping skills when they're younger, we'll have less people. I mean, traumatic brain injury, you can't do too much about that, but you can, you know, you can teach them better coping skills before they Uh, get to that point. So
2: for me, it's like. Bullying played a major factor. Feeling different or broken played a major factor. Not being picked by girls played a major factor. Um, Suicidal thoughts, drugs and alcohol, having sex before I was married, all these things that in religious areas they don't want to talk about or a parent doesn't want to be like, I had sex at 13 because they fear that it gives the kid the opportunity to have sex at 13. But if you tell them what the experience was like and that it, that you weren't mature enough and that it brought up emotions in you that you didn't have the coping skills for and that drugs and alcohol helped for a minute until they didn't. And all this stuff, educating them does not give them the right to go do it. It gives them the facts that if they do, don't come, don't come crying when I told you so. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My daughter knows everything. Yeah. Don't what a crack I, looks like what a needle looks like, what every drug looks like, how to emotionally talk about things that I'm never going to, comfort her in a way that is going to let her out of feeling it and healing it. Right. She knows we're going to handle shit as it comes. We're not going to let it pile up. Let her know. She does gets way better grades than me. I don't care what your grades are. I care that you put your effort in that's it. Yeah. End of story. Because I got, I, get- I got
0: excellent grades, but the crying. word that I hated the most when I was growing up was the word potential. Cause my, my teacher's always like, he's, I was getting straight A's. I was getting 100% on all of the tests. And my teachers were like, but he's not trying. He's not doing anything. He's, he's not, not living up to, up to his potential. potential. And it's like, yep. So yeah, that that whole, and, and then I actually start, and then when I did mess up or I did not get a perfect grade to be teased by my teachers, it's like, oh, see, look, you missed one. So, yeah. you know, I, I scared my teachers in, in a way. Nice, so yeah yeah, they, they picked on me in other ways, but, but that separated me in a different way because I, I'd never tried in school. I was just always got the grades. I didn't have to do anything. So I never learned how to study. I never learned how to put forth the effort into anything that I did except for sports. And I was really good until I,
2: so I think with the, going back to the parenting question is one, look at yourself, see if it's being projected down to them. If it's insecurities you have that now they're developing and you're wondering why but then also remove your own personal belief remove your religious belief whatever it is and look at the data we didn't have google we didn't have all this stuff back in the 70s 80s and 90s right now we do we have decades and decades of proven techniques of how to help your kids also don't wait until it's a crisis Mm -hmm. hold them accountable have some boundaries in the home have some expectations with risk and or with reward and consequence Mm -hmm. that you develop with your kid so that when they don't do it you can be like that's your handwriting right there like you made that consequence I didn't make that consequence right I'm not taking your phone you didn't do what you did so you're losing your phone there's a difference right yeah I'm just holding you accountable because I love you Mm-hmm. So if you want to play games all weekend, then you need to study. And this is the study program. 45 on 10 minutes of play, 25 on 10 minutes of play, finish, whatever it is. But if they're just winging it, kids aren't meant to wing it. Nope. are nope. meant to play during play time. But if you let them have play time during study time, they're not getting anything done Exactly. and yeah. they'll never find and their the, greatness.
0: And teacher, entrepreneur, doing stuff together, our youngest son was in that kind of left out of everything kind of a stage. We thought we were doing well. We thought we were, but, you know, later in life, he, he kind of um, we became disrespectful in his view. We didn't, we lost our communication with him. Yeah. Um, and he's no longer really part of our life at the moment because of of that lack of communication, that lack yeah. of structure. And, you know, we, are now actually trying to help people avoid
1: avoid all of that that yeah
0: to to it's like wow it really hurts um yeah. so hard and 30 year teacher and our kids aren't aren't perfect either and so yeah it's just really devastating on this side when the kids have problems and you don't take care of it as well so for yeah. for the parental side you know keeping your kids
2: yeah there's, and I think there's a authoritarian where you're dominant and you're just telling them what they're doing wrong all the time and super strict like that. There's, you got to find a happy medium of each kid, right? Because as you have new kids, you're at a different place than you were with the first kid. So they don't get the same parenting. They don't get the same parent. Right. So it's important that you learn their love languages, their body language, and how to operate the same lesson. Right. But Mm -hmm. taught differently. Yeah. And constantly checking yourself, Mm -hmm. seeing revamping every month. How did this go? This was a disaster. Little Johnny acted out, but Stacy did well. We're going to continue with Stacy. We're going to change things up for little Johnny. Yes.
0: Got to treat every person as an individual. That's another thing that the cookie cutter school system is like, do this for everybody. And
2: yeah. And and ultimately, you know, just stand up for schools is parents aren't doing their job. No. Teacher's hands are tied because of the parents. So it's like we can't even teach. And every kid has anxiety and depression. So they're putting out fires all day long and they're not getting to the curriculum, which they're, they are paid by their performance. And if I have to help six people walk, talk them off of an anxiety attack, I'm not getting my job done and all these other kids are losing out. Yeah. So one thing we teach them is to identify mental health issues early on. So they can refer them out of class to get the help they need to thrive and help the parents also see and get get everybody on the same playing field. And if your kid needs extra help, they need to go to a specialized school or they need to be in special classes. But parents are like, I don't want my kid in resource. He's going to feel different. It's like he is in resource. He needs resource. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be you need to be realistic with what's going on.
0: Stop don't get mad about at the teacher like and start start thinking about what it feels, it feels like and how like to be and how human to fix it
2: because yep. it's yeah.
0: like because looks if you're just doing stuff based on looks your life is going to just be falling apart
2: yeah and it's like don't get mad at the teacher who has to spend eight hours with a hundred different kids that are disrespectful when you're not even getting respected in your own home right like it starts in the home i don't care what anybody says You have the opportunity to set a parameter of how you're going to act, what we're going to stand for. This is the game plan to do so. And you do that when you're not in the home. If you go to and disrespect a teacher or you're causing problems in class or whatever else, we have some things we need to do at home. Yeah. Yes. It's not like the teacher didn't give them blah, 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 blah. It's like, what did you give them? Right. All summer. You have hours at night. You have weekends. You raise them up out the womb. Yeah. And this stuff starts at like two
1: exactly <laughs>
0: we, one of one, yes. of one of Christina's last years in building with a teacher as a teacher there was a, a kindergartner that started swearing at the teacher
1: at the kindergarten at teacher. the
0: kindergarten the kindergartner was swearing at the teacher and when they brought the mom in the mom was like well what did you do to my kid to make him swear at you yeah, <laughs> yeah those are just like blinders not- and
2: A lot of parents suck at parenting and they need to bring in a maid or a nanny. Like you don't have to be good at that. If you're not a good stay at home mom, go get a job. So that the time you are excited to see your kid, you don't get burned out from them all day long. Yeah. Like it's okay. Parenting doesn't mean taking care of it means preparing. And that might mean bringing in some other people who can prepare them a little better.
1: That's what I was just going to say. You know, we, we get business coaches, we get life coaches, Get a parenting coach. If it's not working for you, if it's not going well, get a parenting coach, get, get an someone, coach. get an education coach, get somebody who will help you through those steps.
0: Because an education yeah. coach will also help structure the family around education, mm-hmm. which gives the family structure, the whole family structure around the children. So it, it's a start. And then once, once they get their foothold in, once they see those changes then to watch their eyes light up and their families come together and start to put pieces in—it's yeah. not always smooth. There's always ups and downs. There's rough bumps, yeah. but the ed- but the communication starts. The education starts, like like you see, and and once and, that starts, then the community really starts to get a hold yeah. of it and and thrive with that.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I just that's that's a major thing. Is I don't care what it is. You got to take a hard look at yourself first. Look at the things that aren't working, what are working, the things you want to change. And then just be open and honest with your kids. And I think people my age, your age, what we experienced in high school and college, these kids are experiencing in elementary school. Yeah. So the age appropriate thing has like dropped like 15 years. Kids are doing meth in elementary school. They're having sex in elementary school. You need to have the talk. Yeah. Like I hear some crazy stuff. I deal with some crazy stuff and this is in protected Utah. So I can only imagine outside of that where it's not as structured and not as so much accountability in these melting pot cities of what's happening or what they're seeing at home or what porn hubs doing for them or like, yeah, well, you, you got to get real with your kids sooner.
1: sooner yeah. Well, and not- make
2: sure your actions at home match your words.
0: Yes.
1: yes you know it's
2: slap mom and be like well i love her son and they get mad when he hits a girl right like, come yeah.
1: on they, they watch you they yeah. see everything it's gotta it's got they know
2: they're not dumb. i'm seeing this i'm feeling this what mommy and daddy tell me do not hook the two together Don't connect. right exactly that well, creates trauma then.
1: Amazing talking with you. I love your insight. I love the connections that you're making and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about what you have coming up? Because we always want to support the people that we chat with. And so let us know how to get a hold of you. And of course, we'll put things in the show notes and things. Yeah. As well.
2: So I've got my book coming out. It's going to be called Warrior in the Garden, which is basically my memoir talking about all these things we talked about today, but deeper into those yeah. stories. And then also the solutions out and my upcoming. From being homeless and addicted for 18 years to now being a multi-six-figure, multi-business-owning uh, entrepreneur. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that should be coming out in like June, between June and September. We're about done with the book. Okay. And we'll turn it over to the publishing here pretty quick in the next month. And uh, do, we'll do a lot of speaking, things like that. So if you, you like what I have to say and you want me to come out to a corporate event or a school or church event get at me but most of my stuff is done on instagram at tattooed life coach in the number eight and then rob eastman on facebook and then my new website just dropped and it is rob eastman wonderful thank you so
1: very
2: much yeah. and then i also have a podcast it's called stand and fight nice nice
0: so to any of our listeners who are who are listening um I met Rob. He is a fabulous man. As you can see, he walks his talk. Um, That is so important in these days and day and age. There are so many people who, especially coaches out there who say one thing, but that's not how they live their life. This man is living his life. He is talking it. He is sharing it. Mm -hmm. That's how he can talk so fluently about it because he's not making anything up. He's just telling his life and he's sharing it to a, a beautiful, beneficial purpose. So I have so much respect for this for this man here who is walking his talk and, and moving through life in such an inspirational manner, just helping all of the other beings on this planet because as he helps one, that, that ripples out. So Rob, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for what you do. I so appreciate. Um, I, I, I wish that I was at a point where, where I could be as, as impactful, as as you are on an individual basis, so so thank you uh, so doing, much for what you're doing for being here. You are so yeah, important. Thank you, this planet.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you guys as well, and honored to be on here. And I look forward to both of your success, and I can't wait to
0: watch your journey. Oh, it's going to be fun. It's yeah. amazing.
1: All right, awesome. audience, that is it for today. Thank you very much. Make sure you look at the show notes, leave us a review, leave us a little like, let us know what, how we're doing for you. And
0: follow up with, with, with Rob, Rob. Exactly. check out his page, follow some of his stuff, get in track in touch with him because you will not be disappointed. And all right. so that's it for now. See I'm you all night, next everybody. week. Bye.